based on the historical perspective, what do you guys think of the word African-American versus Black American? It's only recently that I've known that there, not even that there's been a difference, but that, you know, because I live in the UK, people in the US, they take it a bit more serious than I do. There's a reason why. Um, but I used to think, you know, African-American would be the better way to describe them. Because if you look at the lineage, it goes all the way back to, you know, the transatlantic um, slave trade. But then I realised that not every single, you know, black American in the US can tie their lineage back to that or can trace it back to, yes, this was my grand great, 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 great grandfather. And I feel like, you know, looking at it from that sense, it kind of leaves a bit of a abyss and the fact that they've just got this massive gap and that they can't fill. So then in that case, black American would probably be the most appropriate term because um, they don't know what part of Africa. It might even be like the Caribbean. Yeah, that's that's my take on it. So before, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit ignorant to, to the words <laughs> and I was like, why do we care or why do they care? But I realised there is a deeper meaning to that. That's my current take on it. I don't think it was a major deal before just because everybody understood what it was. You're black American, you obviously came there by boat or however else um, they would have got there via the slave trade. I think over time it has evolved, especially with the movement of Pan-Africanism. Due to that movement, I think it's kind of like the word has had its day, as some might say, and needs to be changed or people feel that it needs to be updated or something, changing by definition now or it's not needed anymore. The transatlantic slave trade is not limited to the American or North American environment, to Europe as well, to England, to Great Britain, to the Caribbean. And you don't see them calling like British African. I think they do have a, you know, even when they're in their application form, it's your black British or your African or something like that. Regardless of what country you're in, well, actually, I haven't been everywhere, but if we're talking about Britain and America, there's a distinct category for you. When you say category, it's when you are filling out a form, or do they, like on the news, at work, within the environment, do they actually address you or address them as Black British? Or it's only when you're filling out application forms or things relating to that? Because we're British, um, we tiptoe around it. Um, so we actually never say the word. like. I don't think a colleague has ever called me black um, in the times that I've been working. We will tiptoe, we will dance and cartwheel around it. Um, even on the news, so you'll never hear it. Um, it's only when it's really, really about racism, they'll be like this um, black African, or they'll say this Caribbean man. Um, that's when you'll ever hear it. Um, or this, you know, yeah, that's when you'll ever hear it. But otherwise, we actually do tiptoe around it. Um, but then nowadays, you will be called BAME, Black Asian Minority Ethnic. And that's our version of Black African and Black American, is that word BAME. And listeners who have a different take, depending on where you are on earth, the way you are addressed will be different. But it's just intriguing sometimes how, especially in the US, it's become a norm, whereby it's African-American. So in your time travel experience, how have you observed the development of racial identity and self representation among black community in 1724 so yeah whilst i was there so i don't i don't really feel there's a community there unless you meant like groupings or things like that because whilst i was there there was just everybody was grouped up as you know the n-word 
um, dark skin, black, everything like that? Um, yes. Um, so during my time, I didn't find that there was much um, representation, to be honest with you. Whenever um, we, all well, the slaves looked around, all they saw was a reflection of themselves. Um, the only way that they ever saw any kind of difference or a hierarchy were the biracial slaves that were kind of kept into that in the house um but again that was due to i guess colorism and the perception that because they were lighter they were closest to what at that time everyone assumed was the best which is whiteness being close to whiteness so i guess that's the only kind of identity that you know to be free or to be better would be to be at close proximity to whiteness so it was only like the house slaves or the children of the slave masters who were mixed race, you know. Um, but yeah, that was the only kind of representation out there. Everything else was, you know, if you saw a slave that was caught, you know, trying to escape, that wasn't something to aspire to, unfortunately. It kind of struck fair in, in everyone and you didn't want to end up like that. So it was really difficult to find someone to kind of look up to or identify as, you know, yep, that's where I want to be. You kind of just, it's, it's quite sad. <laughs> you, Yeah, it was really difficult. You had just looked at each other and that's what you saw, a mirror of each other. Um, but yeah, that was my experience. The impact of language on social change. So, do you believe that the terms we use to describe racial and ethnic groups can significantly influence social and political change? If so, how? Um, especially when it comes to language and how we address certain groups of people. Um, say, you can take the word, uh, the N-word for instance, and the way that it's evolved and changed over time. Obviously it was used to describe um, African slaves, and then at some point in the 20th, 21st, 20th century, it started being used as a term of endearment within the black community, which given given the history of the word, you see a kind of like a well, kind of like a drastic change of it being used in some kind of positive way amongst black people. Just looking at that in terms of the way that it's evolved and changed, I think that the words that we use to describe ethnic groups can definitely bring about some kind of influence. I mean, yes, but also, like, I don't know if you had any terms specific in mind, but even generally, th thinking about me thinking about propaganda and the way that things are portrayed and spoken about in the news, um, you know, even just going back to three years ago, you know, the Black Lives Matter pro protests and, you know, people being called thugs and, you know, looting and all these other things, whereas if a... Um, hockey game if the you know if a hockey team lost there will be cars being burnt there'll be you know all these people coming out and you know fighting but they'll just be called passionate fans whereas you know so I think like in terms of that yes language definitely does um but when it's when it comes to describing racial or ethnic groups it does matter and it matters when it comes to healthcare when it comes to the way that people are represented in the media, when it comes to finding a job, when it comes to, you know, getting a loan for a house, a mortgage. I know it's all important. Have you noticed any significant cultural differences between African-American and Black American identities during your time travels? And how do these differences manifest? 
whilst I was there, I did notice quite a massive difference. And I think it's kind of going back to, so the slaves that were brought kind of like fresh um, off the boat, um, they still had a bit of hope and a sense of identity. You know, they were looking for someone from the same tribe. They were, they had the sense of, I can go back home. You know, mother is just, I, don't, I know I've been on this voyage for ages, but mother is just somewhere else. Whereas I found like the second generation slaves had no clue. It's kind of crazy how it could have just be wiped out after one generation. So I felt like the black American identity they were already ingrained into, well, this is where I am. This is where my mum was born. This is where I work. And that was it. There was no, oh, let me go back home. That was also far-fetched for them. But where I felt like the slaves that were just, you know, they still have the African names. Yes, it had been stripped from them, but they still had a sense of, I can go back here. This is not where I'm from. That was my kind of significant difference between the African-American and Black American identities. Um, yeah, so... I suppose that would be the cultural difference um, that I witnessed as well. You can see the clear, distinct um, gap in terms of cultural awareness of the time, I suppose, between the two groups, African-Americans and Black Americans. It's almost like a cycle of new Africans come in, a period of a tethering period where they're just really adjusting and grasping the real situation that they are in. What are the most important lessons that modern society could learn from the experiences of African-Americans in the year 1724? What modern society can learn from the past is what these people went through in terms of being stripped of their humanity or to empathize with the situation that happened to the Black people in 1724 and realizing that being stripped of your humanity not only has detrimental effect on the person that is happening to you, but when it's something on such a large scale, it affects you and your following generations for like hundreds of years, especially when it's been done to that mass scale. I mean, that can be applied to say the Holocaust as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, I don't know how else to describe it, but shit's fucked up, don't do it again. Um, I would say the most important lessons that modern society could learn um, from the experience is one, that knowledge is power. I think that is huge like not like that is probably one of the biggest things knowledge is power and also the power of community and as my other colleague said you know the holocaust the current genocide that's going on in palestine when you add all those together it was all it, even till now it's propaganda you know and propaganda knowledge ignorance so knowledge is power and that's why they didn't want to teach people how to read that's why they stripped you of your name your identity like my other colleague was saying you know you call them cockroaches you call them all these other names apart from what they are um so yes and quite frankly society hasn't learned anything all the people that have learned are the demonic evil people and they just use that playbook again and again and again um, but that's going into it too much. But yes, I would say knowledge um, is power. So that's something that we need to kind of either equip ourselves with so it doesn't happen again, or at least the right people equip themselves with it or just teach the future generation to be able to criticise things, you know, critical analysis of information that they're given. Also community, just I feel like this current generation, they're trying to keep everyone individualistic. We're trying to keep everyone apart. And again, that's what's going to cause a repeat of everything that we've seen in the past. Um, but yeah, community and knowledge, that's one thing we can we can help take forward to help us and prevent things that are currently happening right now. The biggest challenges you faced this year and since you've been in 1724 regarding the mission. 
to hand slavery and its effects within 50 years? Yeah, yes, uh, I'll say the biggest challenge is trying to convince not only the people who are enslaved, but actually trying to gather support from white people, which is probably the biggest challenge because no matter how many slave revolts you have, it doesn't mean anything's going to get changed. Unfortunately, you need the support of the oppressors as sad as that sounds, to be able to actually make that change. And obviously with our mission, it was trying to get it to happen much, much, much quicker, which was extremely difficult because the proceeds of the slave trade was actually very, 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 it like it kept the economy going in America. Like it was, it was literally, it's like uh, in Dahomey, um, Dahomey is what Benin is now, next to Nigeria. In Dahomey, um, if we're going by history, uh, to an extent, because I was never there, um, apparently what they ran on was slaves, um, obviously slaving to the, uh, the British, the Americas, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was literally like the, the economy ran on slavery and palm oil, I believe, palm oil exports. So with America, that's how it was as well. So trying to get people to actually find another way to run your economy, you know, find another way to maintain your economy or anything like that. It was uh, extremely, extremely difficult. And that's just, that's something else besides what the other agent said. And so I was actually trying to garner hope within the slaves themselves, trying to stop or trying to explain to the oppressors that I know this is what your economy runs on, but there's another way. I'll try and find another way. For me, I feel like the biggest challenge is just having patience and trying to, you know, garner hope in individuals who are so broken. You know, the system has literally... <laughs> um, every vestige of hope that have been in these individuals, the system, as I keep saying, the playbook has literally stripped them away to their core. Um, so I think trying to kind of saying you guys have to believe me you know because I've seen it I've been to the other side and, you know and trying to just convince these people who have nothing that you know there is hope on the other side I think that's what's been very hard to do um yeah that's been a massive challenge and just trying to break down the system because it, it, even although it was all in your face and they would say the n-word and whatever there were people in the government lobbying you know there were so many layers to it that it's it was quite it was exhausting and every day you would feel defeated, you know, being in that, yeah, you would feel defeated because you were like, even I know what's, what's about to happen. I know what's going to happen. And even I'm kind of like, actually, should I just go to bed? Like, should I just leave this? Should I just join them? You know, come on, let's pick cotton together. Like, F this. And, you know, I've been to the other side. I, I have my freedom to an extent. And even I'm kind of like, whoa, like even I'm nearly broken and I know there's another side. So I think it's just the resilience and keeping that in other people and passing it on to another generation. I think that's what's been very challenging. Um, so yeah, it's very easier said than done. All those people that said, why didn't the slaves just run away or fight back? Um, when there's a whole system that's trying to, you know, put you down, it's just, it's easier said than done. And I can testify to that. So that's my challenge. Remember, forget about the needle. Don't move the needle. Throw the needle away. Instead, let your actions today turn the wheel of positive change. This is Reflections, where every story has a history and every history has a story to tell. Wake up, it's 1724.